John chapter 14. We're going to finish John chapter 14, Lord willing, this morning, as we have been on it for uh, a while. And it's, been a, it's just been a great study through that chapter because there's so much going on. Uh, Jesus is spending time in the upper room with his disciples. He's sharing with them, encouraging them because of the events that are about to take place, uh, trying to get them better prepared, if you will, for what's going to happen. Now, as we know, uh, it didn't work out all that well. The, the disciples still freaked out after the crucifixion. Uh, but Jesus knew that that was going to happen, and so he's spending this intimate time of fellowship with his disciples in the upper room. And I like that because as we go through it, as we study it, we know that all those same things that he is saying, communicating with them, applies to us as well, right? He is uh, spending intimate time with us in those words. Uh, he is encouraging us with his words. So it's not just limited to his disciples. As we have it written in his word for us, we're able to ex experience that as well. So John chapter 14, verse 18 Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. So last week we looked at what's called our threefold relationship with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth as our helper, as we saw uh, from the passages that we looked at. And I encourage you, if you weren't here, uh, you have an opportunity to download that teaching, grab the CD, because it's, it's such an important basic foundational element in our Christian walk, what we need to know in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus told His disciples that the Holy Spirit was with them, as we looked at, would be in them and will come upon them. And we saw how the same is true concerning us, even to this day, that before we were believers, the Holy Spirit was with us or alongside us, wooing us to Christ, convincing us about Christ, drawing us to Christ. As believers, all of us know that that's exactly what happened. We were drawn to Christ by the Holy Spirit. And then when we accepted Christ as our Savior and Lord, he gives us His Holy Spirit to live in us permanently, always there, the Holy Spirit in us. And then to empower us, He sends the Holy Spirit to come upon us at times that He determines to fill us to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And we saw in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, for the purpose of being His witnesses. We had that phenomenal illustration last week. Not phenomenal because I did the illustration, but because the illustration itself is phenomenal in seeing that water poured into a cup, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then as it poured out, as it kept pouring, and it overflowed into that bowl, which represented others, that is, the Lord fills us up with His Holy Spirit to overflowing into other people's lives. And it's such a neat uh, analogy of that work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So there's the wooing, the walking alongside. He draws us to Christ, the infilling of us with His Holy Spirit living in us permanently. And then also 
as he fills us to overflowing so that we pour out in the lives of others to be witnesses uh, for him. Now, John chapter 14, verse 18, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Webster's Dictionary defines orphan as this, a child deprived by death of one or usually both parents, or one deprived of some protection uh, or advantage. Both of those definitions use the phrase deprived of. Deprived of what? Deprived of having someone who is committed to watch over, to care for, to love. Left alone without a love relationship in, in their life. So think about our lives before Christ. We know that Christ died for the world, that Christ uh, so loved the world that he gave his life for each one of us. So, so there's that love, but without him in our lives, without his holy presence living in us, we are orphans. We don't have that connection with the Father that we could have through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. It's interesting that we have this verse on this morning. Uh, we, we started at the beginning of this month making everyone aware that this month is Orphan Month, National Orphan Month. And the first Sunday of the month was, was Orphan Sunday. So on a month which we remember, pray for, and seek God on how He would have us reach out to orphans, we have this verse. It's just amazing to me how God works that, you know, we could have been in John chapter 14 sometime next spring and maybe it wouldn't have the impact that it does right now, this whole uh, orphan thing without being in orphan month and that awareness thereof, right? And it wasn't that I delayed this teaching till this, this point in time. Uh, <laughs> I'm just slow. So it worked out. <laughs> so you wonder, why is it taking so long to go through the book of John? I think it's God ordained that we're here. Amen? By the way, while we're on that, the cross. The cross is up. And I worked on that this week because last week someone said to me, it's interesting that you made sure that you had the coffee machine up and working before you had the cross up. And I explained to them it's all about pressure on the pastor. There was more pressure to have the coffee machine working. But the cross is here. And in case you're confused, if you focus right there, you see the cross very well. Okay, If you're focusing on one of these plates, you know, it's one of those optical illusions, if you will. And so you need to be cross-eyed, okay, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> so James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Did you catch that? I brought up some verses last week regarding the Trinity. And look here in James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So Jesus says to his disciples, I am not going to leave you alone. Guys, I have to leave for a while, but, but I'll be back. Moreover, I'm going to send someone to you to be my representative in your life. 
So even though Jesus was going away, he wouldn't leave his disciples as orphans without that guiding uh, person in their lives that he, that he had been. He loved and cared for them as a father loves his children. So why would he, so he would come back for them? And why would that be? Because he loved them. Because he had a loving relationship with them. After his death and resurrection, he comes to them to give them a helper for when he goes to be with the Father, the Holy Spirit. We looked at that last week, later on in the book of John, where Jesus is with them after his resurrection, and he breathes into him them and says what? Receive the Holy Spirit. That's when they receive the Holy Spirit in them. He didn't leave them as orphans. He came back to them in the form of what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Father, all in one as God. So Jesus had been with them physically for that time, and then He gave them His Holy Spirit to reside and live with them ongoing. John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14 says, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, as we saw that referred to in chapter 14 as well, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will tell you things uh, to come he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you so there's that perfect unity that perfect representation of Jesus Christ in their lives and in our lives through the Holy Spirit in our life so we know if the Holy Spirit is leading us guiding us to do something it's in 100% complete agreement with what Christ and the Father have for us as well. We can always trust in that. It's always going to be in agreement with the Father. It's always going to be in agreement with the Son. And it's always going to be in agreement with His Word. And for us today especially, we have that available to us. If we feel like we're being led in a certain direction, we feel like the Holy Spirit is guiding that, then we need to check it out with God's Word, right? To make sure that it's in agreement. If it's not in agreement, red flags should go up. This is never going to be wrong. So what we're hearing could very well be, right? So we need to always be in a place where we're checking that out, that direction that we're being led. Does this agree with God's Word? And we need to be in prayer. Lord, in what I am hearing, is it from you? So in verse 19, he says, A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. So during that time, we talked about this a couple weeks, that Jesus walked with his disciples here on earth. He was recognized as a person that was here by everyone, right? The world, the disciples, the believers, and those that didn't believe all recognized that he was there. He was a person, but he wasn't recognized by most people as their Savior and Lord, and certainly not as God. So the world saw him at that time. They just didn't realize who he was. After his crucifixion and resurrection, he returned to his disciples, and they saw him in his resurrected body. But the world as a whole really did not, did they? He came back and made his appearances to those who were believers. They were the ones that saw him. The world lacked a relationship with him, so he did not appear to them. They, did not, they didn't see him. So the world 
unbelievers saw him no more. But those who did believe saw him. That's what this verse is trying to say. And because he lives, they live in him. Because he lives, we live in him. So in short, he's telling his disciples, I am going to die, but I'm not going to stay that way. I will have victory over sin and death, and because I live, you will live, having victory over sin and death in me. And when you see me again, I will be alive. He's promising them that. You are going to see me again, and when you see me again, it's because I am alive. Verse 20, At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So those things are going to be revealed to them. They're going to see the promises that He made come to pass. They're going to see the full realization of those promises in the fact that He is alive and living in them through His Holy Spirit. He says, And when you see Me again, all that I have taught you, all that I have promised you, you will see and know. I am in the Father, You are in me, I am in you, I will dwell in you as the promised Holy Spirit that I will give to you. And all of those apply to us as well, if we believe. Verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So we say we love Jesus. How do we prove that? The proof is in our obedience, isn't it? To do what He says to do and not do what He says not to do. It's pretty simple. And those things worked out in our lives are proof of our love for Him. He manifests Himself to us by His Holy Spirit to be our helper to help us to do what He says to do and to help us to not do what He says not to do. Now that word, manifest, it's an interesting word. He manifests Himself to us through the Holy Spirit. When He came to the disciples originally, as we studied through the book of John, He manifested Himself to them. He was God. He manifested Himself to Him as the Son. Now we see He's manifesting Himself to the disciples and to us through His Holy Spirit. Manifest or manifestation. It's, 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 just, it's an interesting word. When it's used as an adjective, it says it's readily perceived by the eye or the understanding. It's evident. It's obvious. It's apparent. It's plain. And when manifest is used as a verb to make clear or evident to the eye or to the understanding, to show plainly, such as he manifested his approval with a hearty laugh. (laughs) Ha, 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 you know, manifesting what he had just heard with this hearty laugh. And then it's also used as a noun, uh, such as a list of cargo carried by a ship, uh, a list of or invoice of goods transported by a truck or a train, a list of the cargo or passengers carried on an airplane, the the manifest. We're familiar with that word. 
But as you go, I went to Webster's Dictionary online and looked these up. It's not like I just knew this off the top of my head, just so I could dazzle you with my brilliance. <laughs> yeah, like that's going to happen. So anyway, as I'm looking, I also ran across a blog. How many of you know what a blog is? Where people write random things for no apparent reason, uh, just to entertain those who are interested in such things, which obviously I went right to, right? So this blog, and it's this lesser known definition here. This is, you know, we talked about when it's used as an adjective, when it's used as a verb, when it's used as a noun, and this is how it's used by a nutcase. <laughs> this is an actual blog, an actual blog. This person writes, Today I'd like to share a little story about instant manifestation. But first, some background info for those who have no idea what I'm talking about. Thank you very much. I have no idea what you're talking about. Instant manifestation. It's the art of manifesting your thoughts into physical form. Quickly, instantly even. Hence the term instant manifestation. See where I'm going with this? Yes, you're a nut. Instant manifestation is based upon the law of attraction, which states that you get what you think about. Sounds like it could lead right into sin to me. I don't know about you guys. Because we know what we think about sometimes, right? And if we had instant manifestation over what we're thinking about, uh-oh, issues. Then they write, however... Other techniques include the art of eventual manifestation, where your desires manifest but take some time to show up. That sounds like a cop-out on the whole thing, doesn't it? There's nothing instant about that. And then there's the art of delayed manifestation, where your desires hover around in vibrational reality. Now, this is a quote from this blog. But they never show up in the physical world at all, and it says most of us are masters at the art of delayed manifestation. <laughs> to me, that just sounds normal. Which means most people are not nuts like you and believe in the art of instant or eventual manifestation. The rest of us are in that delayed mode going, what were you even talking about, right? Manifestation, interesting word. So... We know that we can't do this on our own, right? We've looked at that. We need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. When it comes to obedience, we know that sometimes we don't obey. We fall short, don't we? So we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives just to make that even possible. Gaining our strength and our insight, and our discernment, and our wisdom from the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit, always guiding, teaching, counseling us on what to do and what not to do. We know that we need to listen. To not listen to Him is not obeying Him. To not listening to Him is not loving Him. We talked last week about grieving the Holy Spirit. We as believers can grieve the Holy Spirit when He's directing us, guiding us, counseling us to do a certain thing 
and we don't do that, we're being disobedient, and that grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us gives us the power to be obedient, which proves our love for Jesus. Jesus manifests Himself to us by His Holy Spirit working in our lives. Now, having said all that, we must remember that His love for us is not contingent upon our obedience, is it? His is an everlasting love. And it's not contingent upon our obedience. Our obedience shows our love for Him, but His love for us is there regardless. He loves us even in disobedience. Praise God. Praise God. His love for us is not based upon what we do. It's based upon what He did. He died for us because He loved us. Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are never separated from His love for us even in our disobedience. But of course, it was never a work that we did. It was always His work in us. It was always His love. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us because we were such wonderful people, did He? He died for us because we were sinners, because He loved us that much. We're all familiar, or should be, with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Saved by His grace, not by our works. Saved by grace. But it doesn't give us a license to disobey, does it? If we're saved by His grace then what's the point? I can just be disobedient for the rest of my life and I'm covered, right? No, no. It's not a license to disobey. We are saved, but He still wants obedience from us. Paul exhorts us in this in Romans chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not, Paul says. Use His grace to be disobedient? Certainly not. And we are all very aware of the consequences of disobedience, aren't we? (laughs) How many times has that really worked out well for you? (laughs) Me neither. It never works out well, does it? Being disobedient to God. Because He will bring us back into obedience. He will do what is ever necessary to bring us back into obedience because He knows that's what's best for us. We understand that, those of us that are parents, because we've had to use that principle on our kids as well, haven't we? Where we say, this is just not good for you. This is going to cause harm to you. Don't go there. Don't do this. And there's that warning but we as kids, what, you know, walk blindly into disobedience, moving right into it, 
thinking, oh, mom and dad don't know what they're talking about. And then we find there's consequences to that. The same thing applies with God. God says, don't do this. This is not healthy for you. It's not a good direction for you to go. I'm telling you this because I love you and I don't want harm to come to you by making this bad decision. He loves us. If we love Him, we should want to please Him. And obeying Him does please Him. And it shows our love for Him. Not only to Him, but to those around us as well, right? That's where the light shines, that we are being obedient and it is apparent to others around us. And He can use that as His Holy Spirit's wooing them. We can be that example and help in that whole process. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to Him, Lord, how is it that You will manifest Yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus manifests Himself to those who believe. Jesus manifests Himself to us by His Holy Spirit. So, as non-believers, we could know that Jesus was a person in history. You could even go so far as to agree that Jesus did exist. But all that He has for us in our lives, especially the love that He has for us, in it, is it manifested to us, revealed to us, we don't know the extent of it until we come into a loving relationship with Him ourselves, right? We could be introduced to Jesus and know facts about Jesus, but knowing Jesus, believing in Jesus, and having His Holy Spirit come into our lives just opens the whole thing up to recognize the love that He has for us. You may have heard it said, how much does Jesus love us? Well, this much. Amen? So His love for us goes beyond even our understanding in some ways. I, have you ever just sat and thought, how much does Jesus love me? Well, He loves us unconditionally. We know that. But His love is everlasting. It goes on and on and on. And the depth of that love grows more and more and more the closer we draw to Him. We might, each one of us, if I told you to pull out a pencil this morning, and, hey, write down a definition of the love of Jesus Christ. And then we could go a few days and I could ask you to write that again. And it might be a deeper definition because of the love that you've been shown just over the past few days. Amen? His love is so deep. It's so everlasting. It's so in us that we recognize the love that He has for us more and more and more as we grow in our relationship with Him. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, Judas, not Iscariot, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Again, as you look at that verse and you think about what we talked about as far as the Trinity goes, look what, what all is being mentioned there. The Father... And he says, we will come and make our home in him, which is the Holy Spirit that's given, right? It just all ties together in, in all these verses. So we will come in, to him and make our home with him. Now, making your home has a length of time set with it, right? That if it's your home, you take up residence in, you abide in, you live there. And if you look at the Holy Spirit in us in those uh, 
principles, that opens up a whole new light to us as well. The Holy Spirit living in my house, in me. How many of you have read or heard of the little book, My Heart, Christ's Home? I want to get some, I probably said this months ago that I want to get some copies, but I am going to get some copies and bring them in just for everyone to have. It is such an interesting little book, and it's, it's just a short read. It's real thin, so if you're not one that likes to read a lot, you'll love this book because there's not that many pages. There's a lot there, but there's not that many pages. And it's all about Christ living in our home and us giving our home over to Him. And we can't have rooms that we keep locked once He comes in to our home, right? Jesus said, what's in that room? Well, I don't want you to go in that room. I just want you to stay out of that room. That, that room I keep locked. I don't want you messing around in that room, okay? We have those places in our hearts that we would just assume Jesus not, you know, don't go in there. You're not going to like what you see. But he wants our whole heart. He wants our whole home to be available to him so he can purge out that room that we want to keep locked. He can clean it out and that Jesus can be comfortable through the power of his Holy Spirit in every room in the house and everything that we are. Great little book. I'll have to make that available to you. Verse 24, He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, we're blessed in this country because of the availability of God's Word. How many of you have more than one Bible in your home? How many have more than five? How many have more than ten? How many have a subscription to Logo Software where you have 300? <laughs> God's Word is available to us, isn't it? None of us are lacking for God's Word. If you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, there's plenty in the chairs there. Just take one or we'll buy you one, whatever it takes. God's Word is available to us. Therefore, His words are available to us. And He says, He who does not love me does not keep my words. We're here of His words. It's not like we're, uh, we don't have it available to us. It is right here. We need to study it. We need to live by it. We need to make it of a part of our lives so that we know we're following God's Word. And the Word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus is saying, this Word that you have, it came direct from God. Through me, through my Holy Spirit for understanding, and it's available to you to guide you, direct you, counsel you, correct you, rebuke you. So an important point for all of us here this morning is we need to remember Salvation is an event. If you're a note taker, write that down. Salvation is an event. Sanctification is a process. There's a point in our Christian life that we first knew, recognized, and believed that Christ died for our sins. Depending upon Him for forgiveness for our sins, past, present, and future. We committed our lives to Him for our salvation. That's Salvation, it was an event, it was a point in time when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Sanctification is the continuing work that Jesus does in our lives through the power of His Holy Spirit working in us and through us. It's a work that He does in us to draw us closer to Himself 
and to make us more and more into His image. It's a process. It's an ongoing work. Salvation is an event that we can point to. Some of you may remember the very date that you accepted the Lord. Some of us, it's just the year. Some of us, maybe it's even the hour. I know exactly when it happened. Here was that point in time where I came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. After that, from that point on, it's sanctification. It's a process. We are being sanctified. It's a work that He's doing in us that takes time. Lord, does it take time. (laughs) His patience with us is amazing because His love for us is amazing. The mercy that He shows us is amazing because His love is amazing. The grace that He's shown us is amazing because His love is amazing. He is so patient with me. And I know that all of us here feel the same way, that I'm just not getting it through my head, you know? It just takes us time, each one of us to a different degree, whatever it is that we're going for, towards in our unique personalities. He made each one of us in a unique way, and He works in each one of us in a unique way, doesn't He? Sanctifying us over time. Salvation is an event. Sanctification is a process. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident is the very thing that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now think about that. This ongoing work is going to keep going until the time that He comes back for us. And He's still got a lot of work to do. And we might think of it as this, that He's going to have to delay His return because there's still a lot of work to do here. (laughs) I know I feel that way sometimes. Lord, you better hold off because there is still a lot of work to do. There is still going to be work to do when He comes back, right? But then we will be complete in Him. Imagine that. Complete in Christ. That's a term that's hard for us to even fathom. (laughs) The perfect work is completed. We become perfect at that point in Him. I look around the room this morning and there's not a whole lot of perfection. (laughs) Yeah, I can see myself in that as well. There's still a lot of work to do. We're not perfect. We're not. But we are being perfected. Praise God. He's doing that work in us through the power of His Holy Spirit. He loves us that much. So His sanctifying work on us is an ongoing work to conform us into being more like Him, which includes lessons in obedience, doesn't it? We know that. We're disobedient in this one thing. There's consequences. We learn the lesson. And then hopefully we're obedient in that thing as we move forward. Sometimes not. Sometimes we make that same mistake several times in disobedience before we finally get it, right? before we finally get it right. (laughs) His work in us, perfecting us. Verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. Jesus saying to His disciples, I am with you right now because I am with you. I am the Holy Spirit with you and for you right now. They didn't receive the Holy Spirit till later because it wasn't necessary. Jesus was with them. 
He was the Holy Spirit for them while He was there with them. He says, but I am leaving and I will not leave you as orphans. As He told them in verse 16, I will send you another helper, the Spirit of truth. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. We looked at this verse a little bit last week. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, who the Father sends in the name of Jesus will, two things there, teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things I said. So we have documented for us the things that He said. It's available to us. Two promises for His disciples and for us. Over time He will teach us all things and bring to our remembrance His words. This helper, the spirit of truth, giving to us the words of truth. His word, the word that you hold in your hands this morning. He will bring to our remembrance the very things that we have heard and learned from the very word of God, Jesus Christ Himself. We're in a certain situation, and a verse comes to our mind. He's giving us remembrance. It's maybe a verse of encouragement to us. It may be a verse of encouragement for someone else, but He brings those things to our minds that we might use those and and experience the love that He has for us by the giving of His Word to us in times when it's needed. And in all of that, He gives a promise. As we finish up this morning, in all that, He gives us a promise of peace. Peace. Now, how many of you here grew up in the 60s? I can just about guess, but... And we remember what was going, peace, you know, peace, brother. I was very young, even in the late 60s. (laughs) Not as young as some, not as old as others, but I was young. And there was this thing, the Jesus movement hit. So at that time, there was this love and not war and peace When the Jesus movement hit, and true peace was being promoted, wasn't it? Peace that only comes from Jesus Christ. Verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now way back when we looked at verse 1 in this chapter, it said, let not your heart be troubled. But he adds to that here by saying what? Let your heart not be afraid. Why do you suppose he said that? Because he knew they were going to be afraid. (laughs) He knew, knew that they were going to have fear. The events that were going to be taking place over the next few days was going to put fear in their hearts. It was going to literally rock their world. They didn't know what was going to be happening. They were going to lack understanding in it. So he says, don't let your heart be troubled or afraid. Now, what comes from that? Peace. If we're not troubled or we're not afraid, we have peace, right? How many of you here believe that being troubled and being afraid is pretty much 100% self-inflicted? Yeah. I mean, there are people out there that might cause us to fear, but if we're fearing man, which we're not supposed to do, right? we're supposed to trust in God, then that fear becomes 
self-inflicted. God never intended for us to be afraid except for fearing Him. Amen? And that is uh, not, I'm scared of God. It's reverence for God. It's respect for God and who He is and what He is in our lives. So don't let your heart be troubled or afraid. He says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. It's, it's there. It's available to us, whether we recognize it or not, right? Are we going to trust in His words and have peace? Or are we going to heap trouble and fear upon our lives? Now, we all have fears. I understand that. We all have troubles that come up in our lives. However, a trust in God should flip that around, shouldn't it? So what am, I, what am I worried about here? Why am I fearing I have God Himself on my side, working on my behalf? Why would I fear? There's no need to fear. But what happens? We fear. <laughs> we do. We fear. We have troubles. But Christ's words should be a comfort to us, just as He was trying to comfort and encourage His disciples here. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Shalom. Peace, it's a precious word to the Jewish people. But it means much more than wholeness, completeness, health, security, even prosperity in the best sense. God's peace brings joy and contentment. God's peace is not like the world's peace. The world bases its peace on resources. That's how you find peace in the world, by resources. God bases His peace on relationship. To be right with God means to enjoy the peace of God. The world depends on personal ability, but the Christians depends on Christ and His adequacy. To the world, peace is something you work for or hope for. But to the Christians, peace is God's wonderful gift received by faith in Him. Warren Wiersbe puts it like this, Unsaved people enjoy peace when, in, when there is an absence of trouble. Did you get that? Unsaved people enjoy peace when there is an absence of trouble. Christians enjoy peace in spite of trials and trouble because of the presence of power of the Holy Spirit in us. People in the world walk by sight and depend on the externals. Christians walk by faith and depend on the eternals. God's Word is eternal. The Spirit brings to remembrance God's Word to encourage us in times of trial, reminding us of His promises. This does and should bring peace into our lives. And there is nothing like the peace that He gives, whether we understand it or not. How many of you have been to a funeral uh, recently or in the past where Maybe one side of the family uh, is saved. They, they know the Lord. And then there's the other side of the family that doesn't. There's a peace on the one side, isn't there? They're still grieving, yes. We grieve for lost ones. But on the other side, where they don't know God, there's no peace. They're grieving. They don't have any idea what's, what's going on, why it happened. But on the side that knows God, there is a peace that's present there with them. This may sound strange, but one of the best places to be a witness for the Lord is at a funeral. 
because you can do great good in ministering to people and comforting them and encouraging them in that time. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's a great verse. I love that verse. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that in the world's eye makes no sense. It's a peace that sometimes goes beyond even our understanding. Nevertheless, it's a peace that we can trust in, rest in, rely upon, that only comes from the Holy Spirit in us. Verse 28, You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. He assures them here that they would see Him again. Why should they? Why should we rejoice? Because He returned to the Father. Because His return to the Father makes it possible for intercessory ministry on our behalf. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He is our great high priest in heaven. Jot this down. We are blessed people because we have the Spirit in us, the Savior above us, and the Word before us. The Spirit in us, the Savior above us, and the Word before us. All three things that we can trust in 100%, completely. Those three things should bring us great peace. They should bring us peace. We can trust in these things. In all the things that there are in the world today that we can't trust in, here's three things that we can trust in. The Spirit's in us. The Savior is above us, interceding at the right hand of God for us. And we have His Word before us to guide us and direct us. He says in verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. He's saying, my time with you is short. This intimate time that Jesus has spent with his disciples in the upper room is almost over, and it will be time for Jesus to die. And the ruler of this world, the prince of this world, Satan, will be God's instrument behind the crucifixion of Jesus. Let me say that again so we, don't, so we understand. The ruler of this world, the prince of this world, Satan, would be God's instrument behind the crucifixion of Jesus. It was all by God's design. It was all by God's plan, wasn't it? And that's the way that it's coming down. But his death would not be permanent. That's what he's trying to get across to these guys to help them to understand. Verse 31, But that the world may know that I love the Father And as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Jesus is saying God's plan for the salvation of the world is going to happen through me. That's God's command to me to carry that out, and I'm doing it. I am going to the cross for you, for the sins of the world. But I'm not going to stay dead. I'm going to be resurrected into life to offer you new life and new hope in me. Jesus would be obedient to his Father's command 
to give his life as a ransom for many because he loved the Father. He was going to be obedient to the Father and he loved us that much. He would go and die for our sins. Amen?